Welcome to Gender Reveal, a podcast where we hopefully get a little bit closer to understanding what the hell gender is. I'm your host and resident gender detective, Tuck Woodstock. Hey everyone, I hope you're all hanging in there. This week on the show, I am delighted to share my conversation with the one and only Diamond Styles. Diamond is the creator of Marcia's Plate and the executive director of Black Trans Woman, Inc. And in this episode, we talk about all of that, plus womanism, sea lions, whether trans representation actually helps trans people, and what happens when we let cis media control trans narratives. A couple quick disclaimers about this episode. First, the interview was recorded in December of 2020, so please keep that in mind when we talk about politics or things that happened quote-unquote this year. Secondly, just a heads up that this episode does contain discussion of abuse and death, including the death of Laylene Polanco. Diamond Styles is one of the premier voices of the millennial Black trans community. Currently, Diamond is the host and producer of Marsha's Plate, a weekly podcast that archives and centers the trans social justice movements and pro-Black feminist culture. Also, she is the executive director of Black Trans Women, Inc., a national nonprofit that is led by Black trans women focused on social advocacy, economic equity, and building strong leadership among Black trans women. The way we always start the show is by asking in terms of gender, how do you identify? So I identify as a black, queer, trans woman. Um, Sometimes people like to say um, woman of trans experience. I identify as a bad bitch. Mm -hmm. I identify... Gosh, I identify as a rebel. I identify all kinds of stuff. (laughs) I love that. That's great. Uh, I want to start like a little bit closer to the beginning because I'm so interested in the fact that, you know, you came out when you were in junior high in the early 1990s. And like I was alive then, but it was another 10 or 20 years before I remember like really hearing about trans people existing. So I'm curious, like when you came out, like to what extent did you know other trans people or did you know of other trans people? I actually did. I grew up in a group home, right? So my mom got caught up in the prison industrial complex. And she was one of those, what Hillary called the super predators. When people talk about Biden and the 94 crime bill, my mother and I were directly impacted by the 94 crime bill that was written by Biden and other people that was co-signed by black conservatives (laughs) that was co-signed by, uh, that was, you know, presented during the Clinton era. My mother was one of those people that were directly impacted by that <laughs> so she went to prison and I ended up going into a group home. And in the group home, I met my best friend, Ty. And she was the same age as me. We were like 12, 13. <laughs> and we started a friendship that even to this day, she lives like four blocks away from me. <laughs> I love that. She like great. literally, we grew up in Indianapolis, and when I moved to Houston, she moved with me. She was like, Aww. "I'm not staying in this place. Is you leaving?" No. 
Literally, like, her and two of my other great friends moved with me. I'm like the mother hen, so if I go somewhere, they go. <laughs> I love that. So, she, we grew up together, and she was trans, I was trans, and, you know, we just blossomed in our transits together. So I was lucky in that way. But in regard to like how we figured out how to do it, no. Like we did there was nothing. I'm just telling my age, but we had to find I had to find my first hormone doctor in the white pages. <laughs> <laughs> I we didn't have the Google, we didn't have um the internet was around, but during that young age, no. We used it started to be a little bit more accessible later on in the 90s. And so we could search a little bit and there was a site called TS Roadmap. Got shout out to Andrea James for creating that space. It, it there's some problematic stuff on there now, but and it, when I look back on it, but it it didn't age well. But it was a great resource to teach you how to um, change your name. Like they had the stuff, the print off papers that you can print off for yourself to take down to the clerk yourself, so you don't have to pay a lawyer. It was so many you know nice resources amongst the you know the BS, but. That's kind of the extent it was. I would hear people. I would sneak into the club. I was sneaking into the gay club where all the trans girls were <laughs> um, at around 14 and listen to their conversations. And it just was a different space. I wouldn't say we definitely didn't see anybody other than like RuPaul or something. Not that he's trans, but the closest thing to visually that would be a trans person was RuPaul. That was kind of bending gender in that way. We had movies, you know, crazy movies like Psycho. And um, I remember when I was younger, even younger, it's like 83, there was a movie called Sleepaway Camp where <laughs> that my mother had where the, the killer was trans or found to be trans at the end. It wasn't a lot of positive or affirming representation when I was younger at all. Right. <laughs> but we had a community already. There were trans people in the city. And once I found a gay club, I found them. <laughs> and then I had a friend that I was going to school with. And we were in the group home surviving that together. So I was lucky in that regards. So uh, you're, as I mentioned, the executive director of Black Trans Women, Inc. Black trans women are experiencing and have experienced like disproportionately high levels of violence. Uh, what are you hoping to achieve or what have you achieved uh, with Black trans women as an organization? Oh, wow. So I have been with the organization for about 10 years. Me and the amazing Monica Roberts, rest in peace. Me and her was called on to be a part of the steering committee. <laughs> um, the founder, um, Kamirian Anderson, she um, called on us to help her like get it going. And so we started getting it going. And at the time I was actually working. And so I didn't have time to invest every single thing that I got into it. But once Camarion stepped down 10 years later, they asked me if I could do it. And so this whole 10 years, we have created a space where Black trans women can be put on pedestals, can be loved, can be honored for the work that they're doing that's usually ignored even in LGBT spaces. So we created a conference, and this conference does everything from testing to educating parents on how to adjust to your trans child coming out. We have an awards gala that gives awards out to people who are doing great work in community. We have a talent show. We have the awards gala also, let me think about to say this too. If you didn't go to your prom, 
in an affirming way, we use this as this is how you come to the prom. It's formal. It's <laughs> it's exactly like a prom would be where except we're giving awards out. So you come, if you didn't get to go to high school as your affirmed gender, you can come here and show up and show out and be just down to the nines and be just be beautiful. So we use that for that. We have um, Trans Manifest, which is a talent show, and you know, workshops throughout the week that we are just teaching whatever somebody wants to come and teach that's re- related to moving our culture forward. Recently, we have started a program, our anti-violence program, where if there's an incident of violence, that we can step in and relocate or rehouse a person that is going through violence, whether it be domestic or any other type of violence, we can actually put them up and keep them safe. We actually, now we are actually having to put them in either hotels or a network of homes that we um, have um, a partnership with, but we actually now are raising funds to be able to build our own location so that we can house trans people who are in domestic violence or in intimate partner violence or any any kind of violence that they're in if they need to get out of that um, situation we have we're able to house them you know back in maybe two years ago Malaysia Booker was in a situation like that where she was had got jumped and the video went viral by a bunch of cis guys and she needed to get out of that neighborhood where she was living to keep herself safe so she can press charges or, you know, people would find her and try to get her together. We weren't able to find her, but somebody else put her up and a month later she was found dead because some, you know, she had to go back and survive on the host role and blah, 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 however. So we didn't want that to happen again. So we created our program and we wanted to be able to house, create a house that we can actually have them come. Also, we have a um, the Star Farmer Grace Initiative where here in Texas, if you go to jail for a nonviolent crime, we actually can bail you out. So you're not sitting up in jail dealing with the transphobic uh, rules of uh, the carceral system. Um, we know based on multiple accounts, but definitely the most recent is Laylene Polanco in New York, who was left to die because she was having seizures in a solitary confinement because she, and she wasn't even supposed to be in solitary confinement. And her bail was right. You see what I'm saying? Only $500. And so if somebody here in Texas is out, you know, is in, because this, if you look in the place that has the most concentration of trans death, it's actually Texas. And so we want to make sure that if trans women get locked up for whatever reason, that's nonviolent, we want to get them out so they're not just sitting in jail. So that's a program that we have started and we're just trying to grow. We are a very small organization that is trying to do great work that is just now getting to the point where we have a little bit of money to do something, but we don't have a lot. So that's what we're kind of trying to do. We're trying to get funded, more funds so we can do the work that's meant to, needed to be done. Yeah. How can people support you and the organization? Oh, you can go to blacktranswomen.org and donate. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about your YouTube channel because you started this channel in the early days of YouTube and it was focused on trans topics, but from a different lens than most trans YouTubers at the time and like arguably most trans YouTubers still today. Uh, Can you talk about what made your content unique? Oh, wow. So when I first (laughs) got on YouTube, it seemed like everybody was doing three months on T, three Mm -hmm. months on E, two days (laughs) post-op, five days (laughs) post-op. It seems like it was really, really focused on the effects of estrogen or testosterone. It was really focused on, you know, surgeries and the physicality of trans, your medical transition. This was, I started in 08. But during this time in 08, because I transitioned so early, I had already done that 
10 years ago. <laughs> but no, 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 more than 10 years ago. It had been years, like 15. And so I couldn't talk about how long I had been on tea because it had been on so so long, or not tea, um, estrogen for so long. It, it, I couldn't talk about it in that kind of way. Only, only thing that I br- could bring to the table is my actual lived experience, what was happening in my relationships, in my love life, what was happening in my um, family life, how, how they were adjusting. You know, it's different when we're talking about I just came out last year to my family and dealing with pronouns. But 10 years later, what was happening then? <laughs> How did I come to the point where now they accept my pronouns and are calling me? What was the battles that that entailed? So I was coming from a different vantage point by being in transition for so long and willing to share it. And as a black person, because there wasn't a lot of black YouTubers at the time who was kind of just sharing their stories that how the intersection of race and trans issues. So I just was sharing all those experiences and being really, really upfront and honest about every aspect of it. I wasn't trying to put on airs. I wasn't trying to put my best face forward, (laughs) trying to be the prettiest, trying to be the most glamazon. I wasn't trying to be that. So I was just being real and, and being vulnerable, sharing the downside of it and the great side of it. And so I think it resonated with a lot of people. And every day somebody is commenting on my channel saying, you know, I started listening to you when I was 13 and now I'm 28. <laughs> and so you're like an auntie in my head. So I think just my re- realness and um, my vantage points is what made it unique. Yeah, you have been a public figure for a long time. And uh, something that I experienced that I assume you also experience is these folks who do come to us and say, oh, you know, I didn't even realize I was trans until I started listening to your videos, your podcast, whatever. And like, now I realize I am trans as someone who has been out and trans for 15 years, more more than that, 25? Yeah, now. It's like 25 now. Yeah, 25. Wow. So what advice do you have for people who are just coming into their transness like in the first few years? God, utilize all the tools that you guys are blessed with now. (laughs) I think community building is important. Get in a community. I think that that this is for anybody, trans or cisgender, whatever. The people who go through different traumas, one of the most important part about healing from the trauma or surviving something is the community that you are in. So build a great community. And we're not talking about, oh, I need to be your friends with a thousand people. I'm talking about just a core group that is supportive of you, that loves you, that cares about you. Don't hold on to people who are not aligned with that. I spent a lot of time waiting for people, particularly family members, to come around and they just had no intention of coming around. And once I let them go, it was my life started to be better, less drama, (laughs) less sadness, less depression. And so make sure you're not trying to hold on to people who don't want to be held on to. Don't let relationship stuff, romantic stuff get you down. Because that can be a hard pill to swallow that love for us is kind of elusive. And well, for me, I don't know about other people, but (laughs) for me and other people I know, love has been elusive. But it's possible. And so don't necessarily focus on that. Really focus on creating the best you, Um, being independent and being a great person and healthy person, dealing with your trauma, going to therapy, da-da-da-da, so that when you do meet somebody great, the potential is even stronger for you to (laughs) flourish a love in a healthy way. I think it's just, it's it's so many, so many things. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. I was listening to your podcast the other day. I wish I could remember which episode it was. And something that you said that like really, really stuck with me was that uh, when people will, you know, go into a conversation being like, oh, I'm just asking questions. I like I'm just wanting to like get your perspective on something like they're really they're really trying to teach you a lesson. <laughs> like they're really trying to teach you that you're not trans rather than like ask you questions from a point of good faith. And I think like your words about like letting those conversations go and like drawing lines uh, when people are being disrespectful and saying like, OK, there is no space for us to have a relationship if you're going to continue to disrespect me on a basic level. Like, yeah, I just really appreciate like that permission to to end those conversations and to walk away from those relationships because I think so many people especially early in their transition are like clinging so hard to relationships that aren't serving them because they want their current community to like come around rather right. than just finding community that accepts them it, it, it's actually called something that's called sea lioning oh yeah <laughs> I've heard of that tell me more about that yeah it's called sea lioning it's a type of like trolling or harassment that consists of like a person pursuing people and asking for questions and asking for evidence and repeating questions and stuff just to maintain like a, a pretense of civility and sincerity when it's really not there. You just trying to be an ass. <laughs> Dudes do it a lot. You know, it's, they're trolling you. basically. <laughs> they're really just trolling you. And a lot of times because we represent a small community, we take it upon ourselves to be the savior of these uneducated, ignorant people who just don't know any better. No. <laughs> no. We, we feel like, oh, we, we have to educate them. They just don't know. Well, how will they know if I don't tell them? No, they, at this point, you can tell when somebody is genuinely, I am trying to learn. I'm not being combative. You can tell the energy. And so if it's somebody who is just really open and it doesn't feel combative and the energy feels lovely, like you are getting through and you're teaching them, then continue that. If you if you want to continue that, great. But if that energy feels like they're really just being combative and you're you're knocking on a brick wall and you can tell that they don't really want to accept what you're telling them. They have all these weird rebuttals. You're not teaching them anything. They are trying to teach you. They are trying to tell you you don't exist, that you don't make sense, and I don't believe you. <laughs> and no matter what you say, no matter how far it makes sense, I'm never going to believe you because you're a man or you're a woman or you that non-binary stuff doesn't make sense. No, 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 no. Don't let them take you down that rabbit hole. Don't be Alice. <laughs> don't do it. Don't let them take you down the rabbit hole. They are wasting your time and wasting your energy, and they don't deserve you. They don't deserve that care. They don't deserve that patience. They don't deserve that energy. I hope people take that to heart. Uh, <laughs> something that you brought up on an episode of Marsha's Plate at some point was like, okay, let's assume we're working from sort of a police abolition standpoint or a restorative justice standpoint, uh, anything that's you know different than the carceral system we have now that's clearly racist and f***ed up. Um, so if that's the case, what does justice look like for women, for trans women, for trans people who are the victims of uh, patriarchy and specifically violence against these groups of people? I heard you ask this question like somewhat rhetorically, but I am curious. It's like a really complicated question, mm -hmm. like where your thoughts are with that right now. It is a complicated situation. So I do feel like sometimes when people do so much harm to community that they need to be exiled. And right now in our current state, the prison is what the tool that we have to use to exile them. And I'm not above using that system. <laughs> 
<laughs> so that being said, what I and what I feel my community is working towards is a multifaceted strategy in how to reduce violence and in, in not just using the tool of prison. Sometimes the tool of getting people Healthcare and healthcare, not just including your physical health, but your mental health, getting people in therapy to deal with their stuff when they're young so they don't grow up and be somebody who's an abuser. If they have access to those kind of resources, it might help them. Getting people tools to get out of a situation that they are in already with somebody who is violent. Because sometimes they have to stay because financial reasons. I don't want to leave my babies. I don't want to be homeless with my babies. I don't want to be homeless with no dealing with this drug addiction. He's the only, my family don't care about me, blah, blah, blah. It's so many reasons why people could stay with somebody. And so getting them in a better situation and having, getting them resources to be able to be housed. Because some people are with violent people just because they don't have no place to stay. And this is the only people giving them places today. So it's multifaceted ways to be able to, when we talk about defund the police, we're not talking about the police is going to be broke and totally dismantle it right now. What we're talking about is reallocate that funding to go somewhere that we see promise in statistics of how this can reduce crime. Just giving all this funding to the police is not stopping the crime or reducing it. So get to put it in up, uh, put that money in other places until we get to the point where crime is super, super low. Oregon just did like all drugs are are decriminalized. Other countries who have done that, it they literally have almost zero incidence of ODing on drugs. It reduced the crime rate. They literally have statistics showing, like Portugal is one. They literally have statistics showing that this actually reduces crime for whatever reason. And so just looking outside of the box and stop investing in ways that are not working. It's not just, oh, get rid of prisons. No, we might need them right now and we might need them forever. I'm still battling on whether or not I think it can get to the point where they have to be fully stopped. But I think we can reduce the incarceration rate if we just do the work in getting people the care that they need. All right. So uh, because, you know, we're in this sort of quarantine hellscape, it's it's hard to find things to look forward to. So I'm trying to ask all of our guests this season, uh, just what's one thing that you're looking forward to in your life? It doesn't have to be trans-related. Um. One of the things that I love about COVID (laughs) (laughs) is on a poetic level, it is teaching cisgender people how trans people live. Mm. Think about this. We have to be isolated because a lot of times if you are a trans person that doesn't benefit from the privileges of passing and people can tell that you're trans when you walk in the street, there are a likelihood of something harming you out in the world. So you stay in the house a lot because if I get on the bus, if I get on train, somebody's going to call me a name. It could, I didn't seen it pop off into violence. So I don't really go out cause I don't want to deal with that. So COVID has the cis people staying in the house. <laughs> when you go to the doctor, they don't know how to treat you. They don't know. They don't really know everything about this. 
So they don't know how to hit, what angles to hit this from to make it better. And sometimes you just got to tell them, this is my issue. And they don't know how to fix it. So cisgender people, they're going in the hospital with COVID and these don't know what to do. <laughs> That's very, very trans-like, right? The, the, the isolation, the, um, oh, and then we think about, we are a small level, we're a small portion of the population. Look at how COVID is forcing them to figure out a way. Everybody complains about, oh, y'all are such a small portion. Why would we need to make all these changes for just a small portion of people? Blah, 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 blah. Look, now it got, we got to find a way to capitalize. <laughs> so now we're making a way for you to work from home. You can work from home. We can make it work. We just got to be productive. We got to continue production. We got to make this money. So, yes, let's figure out a way to make you make you work from home. But when single mothers needed to work from home to be with their children, y'all couldn't find a way. Mm-hmm. When disabled people said, I really can do this job really, really well if y'all let me do it from home. You said, no. Uh-uh. We, we're going to ignore this whole pool of resources of disabled people that could be able to do this work. But we're going to ignore them. <laughs> but now we're trying to make it work. <laughs> the hypocrisy of that. So for me, COVID has really taught us that these folks are fake. <laughs> they are full of they can make stuff work when they want to make it work. We are no longer going to accept them making excuses <laughs> for anything. Any marginalized people, make it work. You made it work for you. Make it work for us. And so I wanted to point that out. But let me think. What, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> the question was something you were looking forward to. But wow, I'm, obs- no, that's, I'm so glad that you talked about that. Looking forward to... Um, I'm looking forward to our house for Black Trans Women's Inc. Our house, which I'm going to name after Monica Roberts. <laughs> I'm oh, looking for that. Yeah. Op- looking forward to that opening up if we get it funded. So yes, I'm looking forward to all these things. Mm, I love that you're naming that after Monica. Yeah, we're thinking about naming it the Monica Roberts Women's Center of Equity and Liberation. Oh, I love that. I'm so excited for y'all. You know, actually, this feeds in very well. It's the last question because. The way we end the show is by asking, in your ideal world, what would the future of gender look like? Gosh, I would feel like there wouldn't be a distinction between man and woman. Um, I know there would be a physical distinction, but I would feel like that would be such a like a small thing. I would I would love to have everybody is way more free to express their gender in any way. Um, everybody is way more free to um, love whatever gender they love in any way. I think a lot of the problems that we have in relationships is because of gender roles and, you know, our self-esteem is rooted in how you're supposed to present in a gendered way. I think a lot of the problems are rooted in that. And I think if those roles weren't so rigid, we can be more free. And so for me, that's what it looks like. It looks like people being more free in who they can love, how they can love, and how they present and how they can show up in the world. So that kind of freedom. That's going to do it for this week's show. Diamond is on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Diamond Styles. That's S-T-Y-L-Z. And at DiamondStyles.com. She's also on Twitter and Facebook at Marsha's Plate. 
We are on Twitter and Instagram at Gender Reveal. You can donate to Black Trans Women Inc. at blacktranswomen.org slash donate. You can support Marsha's Plate at patreon.com slash Marsha's Plate. Honestly, we donate to Marsha's Plate, and I know Marsha's Plate donates to other trans folks, so all your money goes in a big circle anyway. This week's episode was produced and edited by me, Tuck Woodstock. Our producer for this season is Isadora Aceves. Special thanks again this week, two in a row, to Cass Adair for connecting us with Diamond. You can hear more from Diamond on Cass's trans activist history podcast called Transcripts. Our logo is by the talented Ira M. Lai. Our theme song is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Additional music this week by Blue Dot Sessions. We'll be back next week with more feelings about gender. Gender.